This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In 2012, a small startup on the verge of collapse called Pebble endeavored to fund their smartwatch company via a Kickstarter campaign, an insanely successful Kickstarter campaign. And not only was their first Kickstarter campaign ridiculously successful, but their next two were as well. In fact, three of the five most successful Kickstarters to date have been for Pebble watches. And yet, this smartwatch company with so much public backing went from crowdfunding success to complete stop in just a few short years. So let's travel slightly back in time and learn how a meteoric rise turned into a rock slide of misfortune for Pebble Watches on the Brink. Hi, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. You guys are listening to The Brink. Today, we're talking about Pebble Watches, a subject that I might have a slight bias toward. I was about to say, you were an owner of a Pebble watch. I'm, I'm, I still am. I still yeah. am. A, I'm not wearing it today, but I, I do have it. Now you're an owner of a very unsupported piece of technology. Yeah, I mean, it still tells time, but yeah, I'm not going to be getting any new apps for it. So uh, I was not a Kickstarter campaign funder for the Pebble watch. However, I did pre-order the watch before it officially was available uh, in store shelves. I'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, technically I, I saw it at CES 2013. I went to CES. There was a, a um, meeting in a big conference room, not on the regular show floor, where the Pebble watch folks were there showing off Pebble watches. This was post Kickstarter campaign pre-store availability. Mm -hmm. And I got a chance to see it. And it was impressive enough for me 
to go ahead and put a pre-order in, and they sent me a Kickstarter edition. That's nice. You know, I I kind of always wanted a Pebble Watch myself, but I'm glad I don't have one because currently I have a a tablet sitting on my desk that I can't use because I switched phone providers, and I feel bad even owning that piece of technology that is no longer really useful. But Pebble Watches are still somewhat useful, and we're going to take you back to the very beginning of Pebble Watches. Which is even before there was a Pebble company. Yes. And technically, Pebble Watch was started out of a brink moment of a previous company. Yes. So way back in 2008, which is ancient times for modern technology companies, right? Ten years ago. The Stone Age. There was a a guy named uh, Eric Mijakovsky. And Mijakovsky, he... uh, He was 22 at the time, and if you read the series of Wired articles we read, (laughs) you would learn that he is six foot six, because I'm pretty sure that that was said in every every single single article. Yes, yes. (laughs) And so he had come from Canada. He had attended the University of Waterloo, and the story is that he was in the Netherlands, and he had taken a semester to study industrial design over there, Mm -hmm. and while he was over there, he was riding his bike everywhere, and he still wanted to stay in touch with his friends back in Canada, eh? And that meant he was using his, his cell phone. But the problem is you're riding your bicycle everywhere. You can't easily check your cell phone, no. right? It's hard to dig into your pocket and pull your cell phone out without potentially ramming your bike into a pedestrian or going out into traffic. And so he thought, wouldn't it be nice if there were some sort of device that I could quickly check to see what incoming call I'm getting or incoming message. Maybe I could read the whole message or I could at least see who's calling me and I could determine, oh, maybe I should pull over to the side, take this phone call, or no, I can let this go to voicemail. Mm -hmm. That actually led him to go back to his room that night and he started tinkering around with basic electronic components to see if he could build something that could do what he was thinking. Now, this was not meant to be like a finished product. This was just a proof of concept, but that led him down the path toward this idea of, yeah, this is possible. I'm going to make a device that can pair with a phone and give you notifications and you don't have to take your phone out to look at. You just glance at your wrist and, hey, what the heck? I'm going to let it tell time too. Which, you know, makes total sense because you're already used to looking at your wrist for time. And and also... Coming up with a small device to take care of your phone needs is not a bad line of logic because computers over history have been getting smaller and smaller until recently when they're kind of getting big again. Right. And I think this is sort of what spurred his imagination was this idea of if you look at the history of computers, then you see them going from the size of a floor of a building to the size of a room to the size of a desk or a filing cabinet to the size of a desktop computer to a laptop to Mm -hmm. smartphones and tablets. And the trend is going from specific purpose, where it's really good at doing very specific things, but it can't do anything else, to general purpose and smaller and eventually mobile. And he thought, well, with this trend, which has been going on since computers started, Mm -hmm. let's look at what's the next logical step, and that's wearable computers. And so that's what he was thinking was that let's see if we can – I think the world is ready for it. As it turns out, that was an assumption that I think has yet to bear out. We can talk more about why that hasn't quite panned out yet toward the end of this episode, but that was the premise. Yes, it was. Now, uh, unfortunately for him, the start of this whole story comes about at a time where he was just slightly ahead of his time. Yes. Because he made a company called Alerta, 
and he decided to make a product called Impulse, Mm -hmm. which was a watch that did all the things that we previously talked about. Specifically with the BlackBerry Blackberry operating system. Which, you know, was a good phone for a while. Well, and and again, to be fair, like he, he started really working on this in 2008. In 2008, the iPhone was not even a year old yet. Yeah. The iPhone had come out in the summer of 2007. I mean, Blackberries were still in popular use. And even if you wanted to develop for the iPhone, you couldn't because mm-hmm. they had not introduced the App Store yet. That didn't get introduced till the summer of 2008. Android was not ready for public release until the no. fall of 2008. So he developed a prototype of the Impulse that worked only with BlackBerry. and uh, But it, it did all the things he wanted it to do. It, if you got a BlackBerry message, which BlackBerry has their own encrypted version of messaging, mm-hmm. you could actually display it on the watch. Yeah. And uh, it was a cool companion piece of technology. It wasn't actually from Research in Motion, which is the the company that made BlackBerry. Yeah. I know a lot of people who own Blackberries, and I know a lot of who did own Blackberries, and a lot of people who do have smartwatches, despite the iffiness of its popularity. And in a big company meeting, Blackberries were largely, you know, business phones. Sure. You know, it's a lot more polite to glance at your watch than it is to pick up your phone and look at it. Not that that has stopped any of us these days. No, people still do, but... Yeah, these days, uh, if you are with any tech podcasters, I I think people in general, this is true, but definitely true for tech podcasters because I've been there. Uh, (laughs) If you ever go to dinner, yeah, I am one, and then I hang out with them sometimes. When a group of tech podcasters go to dinner, the first thing that happens is however many tech podcasters you have, you have at least that many phones hit the table. <laughs> Probably more phones than there are people. One for because, each pocket. So yeah, sometimes people carry more than one. Yes. Uh, well, in 2011, the company, Alerta, was invited to participate in a group uh, It's called the Y Combinator. And this is what they call an accelerator. An accelerator is a company that is designed to help startups get a foundation. So they pair people with mentors to teach about forming business plans and uh, what sort of of, of pitfalls to look out for. Mm -hmm. And they also attempt to match up companies with potential investors. And that's what was going on with Y Combinator. And by the time the impulse was ready to be shown off there, it had already been available for purchase and They had expanded beyond BlackBerry. Now they were also uh, compatible with the Android operating system, Mm -hmm. but not iOS, not yet. Yeah, but the thing is, even though everybody at this Y Combinator incubator got 150K. Yeah, everyone. Everybody got it. Alerta had a really hard time getting investors. They only got about 300. They only doubled that initial investment. Yeah, like some of those companies or some of those startups were able to get significantly more investment but mm-hmm. Alerta was limited to 300000 which sounds like a lot of money. But the problem is Alerta was also is a hardware company. Yeah, so you're having to buy all these different components as opposed to just yeah, hiring people to program things. App. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you have to figure out supply chain. You have to figure out where, where are we going to manufacture these things. Now, in the well, early days, they went pretty low rent with that. They did. They um, they only sold 1,500 units of impulses. They didn't have to worry about bulk production. Yeah, half of which they made in their garage, and the other half they made at a small local factory that they hired out. Yeah. At that scale, it doesn't make sense to look overseas, which is Mm -hmm. what Pebble would do later on. They would start looking at 
manufacturing facilities in China. But you don't do that if you've got if you're only making a thousand no. or so units. You don't that that would, that would be overkill. Yeah. Um, so they've used all of this money that they've made at the incubator to make these fifteen hundred units, and nobody wanted to buy them. Yeah. So we are at a point where the company, the idea that that uh, Eric had, just wasn't taking off. Investors didn't seem interested. Customers didn't seem interested. He had not found a way to tap into anyone's desire for technology. It was like, could he have been totally off base with his earlier assessment that this wearable computing model was the way to go? And I think for a lot of first-time business owners, Mm -hmm. they would look at this and say, I'm on the wrong track I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to come up with a different idea, especially when you come from a, a background where Eric Mijakovsky, he had been through two different accelerators at this yes. point because there was one at the University of Waterloo called Velocity. He had mm-hmm. already done that one. And then Y Combinator, he did another one. So he had at least had the benefit of being able to work with people who had experience in launching startups. So he could have just stepped away. But he didn't. He he was like, well, I still think this is a good idea. I still think people want it. I just haven't hit that sweet spot yet. Yeah. And by this time, it's getting close to 2012. The landscape had changed quite a bit. Uh, both Apple and Google were really starting to take over the market share of smartphones. There was a rising interest in developing for those platforms, mm-hmm. developing apps for those platforms. And Mijakovsky said, I think I'm ready to take another stab at this, but I think it's going to require rethinking my approach. And we'll talk about what he did next in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Okay, so we talked about how Mijakovsky wanted to rethink his ideas instead of give up. So the first thing he did was he rebranded, renamed his watch to Pebble. And eventually the company would also be called this. Yes, and then he decided to make it work with multiple OSs. Yes. Multiple operating systems. Now you've got all these people who are interested in in making apps for Apple and Google they're going to be interested in making apps for his watch as well. So this opened it up to a whole new market of people. And then he also made the watch waterproof. Mm -hmm. And he decided to make some other changes to the technology. So the original Impulse watch, it had an OLED screen. Uh, It's an organic LED, Mm -hmm. if you prefer. And it was a full color screen, and you had to plug a charging cable into Mm -hmm. the watch. That's what would make it not water-resistant, right? Because you have an opening there. Yeah. So for the Pebble, he decides, well, let's let's make it monochromatic screen. We'll use e-paper mm-hmm. as the display. Which had a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, it removes, it removes a lot of the power requirements mm-hmm. because it's not backlit. And it also takes off a lot of glare so you can see it in brighter light. Yeah, it's like paper. You need that external light to be able to see what's on there. So this decision to go with... A brand new approach, a brand new name, a new design model, all of that's great, except where are you going to get the money to fund the research and development, the prototyping, the manufacturing? I mean, you don't have revenue coming in from the impulse. Yeah, and you don't have investors who want to buy hardware. So where do you turn? If If you can't get any angel investors, well... Mijakovsky decides to turn to a relatively new form of mm-hmm. fundraising. It, it had been around for a few years, but he was one of the early birds yes. on this platform, I would say. Yes, he launched a Kickstarter campaign in 2012. It would be the first of three. And it would be, as we said in the opening, incredibly successful. Spoiler yes. alert. So yes. in this case, they had set their goal at 100 thousand dollars and they gave themselves 37 days or so to hit that goal how long did it take them to hit one hundred thousand dollars uh two hours and then they hit a million in 28 hours yikes and they hit ten million two hundred sixty six thousand eight hundred and forty five dollars overall yeah which is 85,000 watch orders approximately. Yeah, although when you look at the full number, because, you know, if you start going at the higher ends, there were other other elements that you could get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they ultimately said it was around 69,000 watches total that they ended up selling, yeah. pre-selling through Kickstarter. And not only that, they could have made more. Yes, yes. They ended their campaign a whole week early because they didn't want to get greedy. Honestly, if I were really putting critical thinking to it, I would say that this was a combination of a couple of different things that Mijakovsky was taking into 
account mm-hmm. when he said, let's end it early. We've made $10 million and we have this number of commitments. Yes. I think there are two things that he's probably thinking. One is, I want to make sure that the number doesn't get so far ahead of us that we'll be in trouble trying to meet our commitment. Yes. And the second is that if you're making hardware, in order to create an incentive, you typically offer that hardware at a discount, sometimes a substantial discount. Mm-hmm. They planned on selling the Pebble at $150, but the early bird on a Kickstarter Pebble was $99. Yeah. You also want to make sure that you haven't grossly underestimated how much it's going to cost you to yeah. make those things. Yeah, well, and also uh, one thing that is common in Kickstarter is our stretch goals. So if we reach this goal, we're going to add this feature. Yes. And if they add too many features to the smartwatch, it either may not be producible. Yeah. Or it gets too expensive. It gets too expensive or it doesn't work right. Yeah, and then you end up sabotaging yourself. And yes. then you either come out with something that's less than what you promised, which upsets everybody, or you don't come out with anything at all, which really, really upsets, upsets everybody. everybody. Fortunately, Pebble is not one of no. them. No. In fact, this first Kickstarter campaign that they did is still the fifth most funded Kickstarter in history. The Kickstarter campaign, that was part of what got them over the brink. And it was that and their commitment toward developers, I think, that helped establish a good reputation for Pebble. Uh, Turns out that would not be enough to keep things going, but we aren't there yet. So 2013, the watch comes out. The end of 2013, you see them sell uh, 300,000 units. Yes. Which is pretty good for a brand new company with brand new hardware. A brand new concept to many people. Yeah. And one that's already reliant upon you owning a smartphone because it it connects via Bluetooth. It cannot on its own connect to the internet so that you get updates and notifications. It has to connect to a smartphone. So you've already said my demographic is a smaller pie because it has to be people who own smartphones. Yes. Despite this early success. In 2014, Apple announced that it was making a smartwatch as a competitor to Pebble. Now, Mijikovsky was not really upset about this. Yeah, he felt like this is a space where lots of folks could play. And he was pretty sure that whatever Apple would produce would not be a direct competitor with Pebble. Because secret here, uh, come in close, come in close. (laughs) Let me tell you a secret. Here's your secret. Okay. Apple's not known for making cheap discount stuff. Nor are they known for really integrating with other people. Yeah, so Apple's watch, everyone was pretty sure, one, it was only going to be interoperable with iOS. Mm -hmm. And two, it was not going to be like a $150 add-on. Apple watches are expensive, yeah. For comparison, Pebble watches were about $150 to $250 cheaper than an Apple Watch, like, base level. Yes. Now, they did have some technical benefits, and we won't go too much into this, but, you know, their batteries lasted longer, uh, a week instead of a couple of days, and Mm -hmm. it had the open API. Um, But it didn't have a touchscreen like the Apple Watch. It didn't have, like, exotic sensors, like heart rate monitors or things like that at that time. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have official designer names attached to it. Right, like, when you got Sir Johnny Ives there as your designer for your your uh, watch. And then you have all these other names for like the the wristbands that are making yeah, all the watch like bands. thousands, thousands of dollars. Yeah, $1,500 for a wristband for your yeah. watch. I'm like, oh. 
Man, must be nice. So I buy my $20 watches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, I got my Pebble and my Swatch, all right? <laughs> so I hear you. But yeah, this was also a time where Android was starting to push smartwatches as well. Actually, to be fair, Google created a platform called Android Wear. Mm-hmm. But rather than Google getting into the hardware game directly— they created that for other manufacturers to use. Yeah, so you had Motorola and Samsung make their versions of a smartwatch. And they were smarter, technically, than Pebble, but they weren't getting as good of reviews. Right. It's hard to demonstrate the utility of a smartwatch to the point where you feel like you have to have it. Like, smartphones you get. They do so much. They do it really well. Smart watches, you have smaller amount of real estate for you to be able to mm-hmm. use a screen. There are barriers there. I don't think anyone has hit upon the perfect smartwatch implementation yet. But I think activity trackers are better about this than smartwatches are. But it's for, again, a smaller piece of the pie. Yeah, Michikovsky would come to realize this later on, but we'll get to that later in the episode. In 2014, 2015... Right around the time that Apple announced their watch, Pebble was coming out with another watch, the Pebble Time. Yes, a more advanced version of the Pebble. It's going to have a lot more higher-end features than the Pebble did. Mm -hmm. Pebble, you could think of as sort of like a bare-bones smartwatch. Yeah. And actually, that was one of the things that appealed to me about it. Like the swatch of smartwatches. Yeah, and I was totally fine with that. Uh, Pebble Time was a step up from that, and like the original Pebble, they decided that they would hold another Kickstarter Yes, and this Kickstarter raised double the amount of money, all told, that the first one did. Yeah, $20 million. So this one had a color display, although it used uh, an e-paper display for this too. Mm -hmm. So it it had sort of almost like a faded approach. Like some people describe it as looking like a faded comic book. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't as graphically appealing as an Apple Watch. And it had 64 colors, so not nearly as many colors as what you would find in like a retina display Mm -hmm. Apple Watch. Uh, It also had a microphone in it so you can make uh, voice notes. Things like note to self, charge watch. This, like I said, had sort of a step up from the original Pebble. And by this time, they also had a pretty strong developer community, more than 20,000 developers out there. Mm -hmm. And Uh, 6,000 apps. Yep. Which shocked me because I was never really looking at the apps part. Now, Now I can't. But I never was really looking at the apps part for Pebble except for Uh, different watch faces. Well, you know, and you could have up to 50 watch faces if you wanted. Yeah. Um, But the thing I liked about the Pebble Time is that you you had your apps and then you had like your eight top apps that would just kind of display in a timeline. So you didn't have to like go and click through, which is great because you didn't have a touch screen. In fact, they had decided that they wanted to tie app notifications to timelines. So let's say you downloaded an app that would give you sports scores then you would need to dial back into the timeline Mm -hmm. to the end of the game, and that would give you the sports score, that kind of thing. Uh, Just to make it easier to navigate your watch. Yeah. I think that's kind of neat. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the whole concept of a watch is about, you know, it's a a chronometer, right? It's measuring Mm -hmm. time. And by the end of 2014, Pebble looked like it was in a really good position. It had sold a million units, which wasn't bad. No. We don't know what Apple's sales figures are officially for the watch. They've never shared them. They always lump the Apple Watch in with the category of other. Mm -hmm. But estimates have put it at 
slightly higher than a million units. In fact, I read one that said that in just the quarter that ended June 2018, they had sold mm-hmm. three and a half million. Yeah. That's that's in one quarter of a year, not a full year. Also, it, it must be a little disheartening for Mitchkovsky and, and, you know, Pebble, who says, we think people are going to want our watch over Apple because it's cheaper. Yeah, but then, it's more you, streamlined. again, you're having to appeal to people who already have smartphones, which mm-hmm. changes the, the landscape a bit. Now, next, we're going to really talk about the issues, the challenges that Pebble encountered and why the company is no longer around. But before we get into that, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. All right, so in 2014, Pebble makes its millionth sale. 2015, the first half of the year is going well, but... By the second half of the year, things were already starting to kind of fall apart. And a large reason for that was Mijakovsky said uh, people weren't as interested in buying wearable computers. And Mm -hmm. he said, I don't see this actually changing the following year. I think we're in a little bit of a slump here. People were initially interested. Maybe the people who were most interested went out and bought one, and now they Mm -hmm. don't feel the need to Buy another one. Yeah, you know? yeah, limited market. This, this is also kind of the difference between, say, a smartwatch and a phone. You know, mm-hmm. a phone typically has enough things change from one iteration to the next to at least tempt you. If you're an Apple iPhone user, you might be getting an updated Apple phone every single year. Well, and That's not necessarily the same with smartwatches. No, and, you know, Pebble did take some of this into account where you've got Apple and and Android making these higher-end watches with all the features all at once. They figured that they could add features as they found uh, good providers for them and keep the costs low Mm -hmm. and and kind of outpace updates and and newer watches from Apple and Motorola, but Mm -hmm. people were just going ahead and spending more money on these watches that had everything. Yeah, they tried to kind of uh, compete a little bit more with Apple with some more upscale versions of the Pebble, Mm -hmm. uh, including one that was in the color of gold, if not made out of gold. But it didn't really matter what kind of trappings you changed Mm -hmm. around the Pebble watch. There were fundamental differences between the way the Pebble watch worked and, say, the Apple watch Yeah, I mean, they even came out with a Pebble round, which, you know, was smaller and— Round in shape instead of the rectangular one. and came out with a new platform for it as well so that as people developed things, it could fit, but not everything fit on a round face. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. It sounds like it would be a minor issue, but it's actually quite hard to design mm-hmm. electronics that are round in shape. And they also, to fit everything into this round face, 
they shrunk down the battery. So now you've got this watch that looks prettier Mm -hmm. to certain people, but now the battery only lasts two days, which is about as long as an Apple Watch battery lasts, and it doesn't have all the features. So they sold some, but it still was not making up for the market difference. And beyond that, now that they've got all these different versions of their Pebble Watch out, they're third-party manufacturers for smart bands because their watches innately did not have GPS or heart rate monitors or health trackers or things like that. Right. You could have that incorporated in, in a, a band. Yeah, in a smart band. But now these manufacturers of these third-party smart bands are having a hard time figuring out what size bands to make and how many to make. Right. Because the band sizes don't fit universally over all these different Pebble watches. So without knowing like how, how you know what the sales figures are going to be for each of the different types, then as a third-party manufacturing company that could make these smart bands, uh, it does make it much trickier. Like You don't want to sit there and invest in making way too many smart bands for one mm-hmm. size, and it turns out that that was the least popular. Yeah, so that also makes your watch less desirable. So like you said, by the end of 2015, things were not looking great, and this is despite them taking out a $5 million loan and a $5 million line of credit. Yeah. So by the second half of 2015, Pebble is no longer in the black. It's in the red. It's Mm -hmm. losing money. Uh, And in the beginning of 2016, things still looking bad. And it was uh, one of those deals where in retrospect, and this was something that Mijakovsky would actually admit to later on, uh, one of the reasons they went to Kickstarter so frequently was because they were having trouble raising money Mm -hmm. through other methods, just as they had had trouble getting investors early. They were having trouble raising money to uh, to to compete in this market space. Yes. So they had seen some success early on. It was a new category mm-hmm. of product. It was a very kind of underdog sort of story. And a lot of bleeding edge technology adopters found it really compelling. And so they jumped on board, including me. But it wasn't something that they were able to sustain as an ongoing business. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Mijakovsky actually said that, you know, while they did go to Kickstarter three times, he said, you know, I can't, we can't keep doing that because yeah. it, sends, it sends the message to our customers that the only way we can survive as a business is through their ongoing investment. Yes. And that's no way to run a product company. It's not. Um, so unfortunately, in March of 2016, uh, because of these financial woes, uh, Mijakovsky had to lay off about 25% of his workforce. Yeah, which at that point was 160 people. Mm-hmm. And this was particularly rough timing. The company had just recently relocated from Palo Alto, California to uh, Redwood City, and they moved into a new office building. And originally, they were supposed to take up two floors in this office building. Yeah. And it was, you know, that Silicon Valley, super sleek design kind of stuff. But now... With those layoffs, their team was smaller and so small, in fact, that what was originally spacious was now too spacious. Yes. So Mijakovsky made the call to consolidate everybody onto one floor and not draw quite as much attention to the fact that there was a lot of empty space around. Yeah, but that didn't that didn't solve things. No. It didn't solve sales, at all. sales did not pick up. The wearables market had not really taken on hold. Apple was not enjoying, as far as we can tell, uh, amazing sales either. Uh, they were selling well mm-hmm. enough, but 
no one, like at least in the literature, no one had been really blown away by wearables. It was, like I said, people felt that no one had really hit upon it. It's just it's just another piece of technology that you have to charge, you have to keep track of, and yeah. you have to man, like. And again, like I think hardcore fitness tracker fans, that's a group you can really market to, but your average consumer still is not quite ready. And other than Garmin, even really well-established fitness device companies have struggled. Oh, yeah. There's some that went out of business. Jawbone went out of business. And for a while, Pebble and Jawbone were working together. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimately, the decision came down to Mijakovsky, like, what do you do? Your company is not raising money. Uh, The market doesn't look like it's going to magically turn around anytime soon. It's getting harder to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. What do you do? He ultimately decided the most responsible thing for him to do for everybody would be to sell the intellectual property of Pebble to an interested buyer, which turned out to be Fitbit. He had some interested buyers before. And they kind of all fell through for various reasons. Yeah, and the Fitbit deal went through for reportedly less than $40 million. Yeah, it was supposed to go through for $40 million, but then the thought is, at least in the research I read, that Fitbit had some bad numbers themselves. Yeah, Fitbit was also having its own struggles. Yeah, originally Fitbit was supposed to buy the intellectual property, the patents, the firm, like everything, and most of the employees. And they ended up really just keeping the software and the employees that worked with the software. Yeah, the engineers specifically with Pebble and everyone else uh, was let go. The Mm -hmm. hardware was not part of the deal. And Fitbit kept support going for Pebble for a little while, but it was not going to be forever. No, they were supposed to end support in 2017, but they actually ended it later. They supported the Pebble community longer than they had initially said, which was very kind of them. Um, They stopped supporting Pebble in June of 2018 this year. Yeah, so finally, the end of the Pebble saga as it stands. But I think there are a lot of interesting lessons to to learn from here. One is that the power of crowdfunding is real and mm-hmm. that uh, it's a great way to to judge at least early interest in a product. Hardware products on crowdfunding are hard to do because it's hard to really estimate exactly how expensive it's going to be mm-hmm. to make the thing, especially if it's a brand new thing. And I've seen this happen with people I know yes. who were producing, you know, stuff like card games. And they, mm-hmm. they say, I got quotes before I did any of this. And then it turns out everything got more expensive. It's like, yeah, this is, that's what contractor work does. Yes. That's how every contract I've ever seen, how it works. Um, so that's a valuable lesson. Another valuable lesson is just really taking a hard look at the potential market for your mm-hmm. your idea. And it may be that, you have a groundbreaking concept, but it might be too early for it to survive. Well, um, and to end on a little bit of a positive note, mm-hmm. Mijakovsky, despite not coming out of this a rich man or super successful, he did learn a lot. And so now he's working at Y Combinator teaching people all these lessons that you just talked yeah. about. Yeah, he says, like, Here, here's what I learned. And like, I would argue Pebble is not a story of failure. No. Pebble's, Pebble's a story of Really, there's this great success story in the first half. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why Pebble ultimately wasn't able to stick around wasn't because of bad decisions on the part of the team at Pebble. It literally was that the market they thought was there just had not quite developed. Yes. That not enough people saw the product as being uh, desirable or indispensable enough to adopt it. And if you do, 
you don't necessarily feel the need to upgrade on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So once you get one, you're like, no, I'm good. I got what I need. It like, does the limited things. It does the limited things I need. Exactly. It's a product that does exactly what it promised to do, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Yes. Because coming out with a new version that has a few more bells and whistles doesn't necessarily, you know, get your mm-hmm. attention. It has to be truly transformative. Uh, but I, I really am still glad that I bought a Pebble. I still wear it occasionally. I'm not wearing it today. It's but, not um, supported, but it will still kind of work for yeah, you. Yeah, it still tells time. I mean, you know, until until that Bluetooth chip gives out, <laughs> I, I think I'll be able to be able to to see the time that uh, – and also I really like the watch face I got. And it'll still SMS and email with an Android phone. Yeah. So and That's what I use. So, yeah. you know. As far as I'm concerned, it still works. Yes. But uh, this was this was one of our first episodes where we decided to take a look at a company where they faced two brink moments, one mm-hmm. at the very beginning and then one that sadly did not uh, work out for them. And we'll look at other companies that also had similar situations and similar fates. Kudos to everyone who worked on the Pebble. Yeah. I mean, the, there were some really innovative ideas, and hopefully some of those are being incorporated into other technologies even today. Yes. All right. Well, until our next episode, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I have been Ariel Kasten. Bye-bye. If you would like to learn more about what we've talked about, as well as keep track of all of our episodes, make sure you visit our website at thebrinkpodcast.show. Or you can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.